Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blankets and Boundaries. I'm your guide, Duke Novak. And for this episode, we are going to be talking about the work of Ken Wilber and his integral philosophy. Uh, he likes to call it AQUAL, which stands for all quadrants, levels, and lines. And he also includes states and types in this map of everything. Sounds pretty cool. Let's get started. I have one major rule. Everybody is right. More specifically, everybody, including me, has some important pieces of truth. And all of those pieces need to be honored, cherished, and included in a more gracious, spacious, and compassionate embrace. That was said by Ken Wilber. And this is kind of the foundation for his philosophy. He believes that people are never 100% wrong and that everybody has some bit of the truth, a partial piece of the truth. And what he has attempted to do in his philosophy and by creating this map of reality is, is try to include what he sees as, as everything. Um, and he's broken it down into four quadrants, the I, it, we, and its quadrants. And each quadrant also contains lines of development and levels on those lines of development. He believes there are growth hierarchies that we can be higher in one line of development and maybe a little bit lower in another line. So let's take the I quadrant, for example. So that is kind of all of our subjective um, pieces of ourselves, everything kind of internal that we internalize and subjectively give meaning to. And these lines uh, that are in this quadrant are different types of intelligences. So for example, someone may be very highly developed in the athletic line like a Michael Jordan, very highly developed, but maybe a little bit lower developed in um, interpersonal line of, of the I quadrant or the creativity line or all these different lines that uh, exist, all the different intelligences, a moral line, a values line, a spiritual line. All these are kind of these internal lines of development that we possess. The other quadrants, the it quadrant, is um, the factual universe, um, objective reality, things that can be measured. And even here, there are lines of development. Um, and he calls them holarchies as well. So each line of develop each uh, step of development includes the steps below it. 
So, for example, you can go atoms to molecules to cells. There's a developmental sequence there to, to organs, to a person, and on and on. But each step includes the steps below. And then we have the we quadrant, which is the cultural or family or the including two people quadrant. And then the it's quadrant, which is the systems, uh, like a financial system, the judicial system. And those also have lines of development as well. A bit confusing, but the important part here is that most people tend to think one quadrant is where all the answers can be found. And what Ken Wilber is trying to do is saying, don't be a reductionist. Try to include all the quadrants um, when dissecting a situation, a problem, whatever the case may be. So, for instance, scientists spend most of their time in the it quadrant, objective reality, and they feel like science is the answer to all of our questions. But then the I quadrant, maybe artists, they might think that art is the answer to our issues. And then you got the we quadrant where people think whatever the cultural context is, is what's most important. But what Ken Wilber is trying to say is that all of these quadrants, and they all kind of blend into each other, they're all kind of like uh, the different sides of a mountain, need to be taken into account. That's all. But what we tend to do is kind of stick to one of the quadrants or maybe two of them and think that that's where all the, you know, all our problems can be solved. But there's these different aspects that need to be taken into account on this map. He also includes states and types, but I'm not going to get much into that uh, for today's for today's talk. So I hope that kind of explains a little bit about these four quadrants, the lines, the different lines in each quadrant, and that there's a development, there's a growth that can happen on these lines and that each step includes the steps below and that what we tend to do as people is kind of just focus in on one of those quadrants and forget about the others and their impact that that may be happening on whatever it is you are you know trying to solve or even your perspective on the world you know can change or widen and, and grow if you can start looking at the world with all these quadrants, levels, and lines. And it's a map, right? And the the point of a map is, is to use it as a guide and to never confuse the map with the territory. The territory is much different than the map. The map is just kind of a guide and to never confuse those two things. Um, for instance, a roadmap, you know, it, it kind of gives you the important information to get from point A to point B, but it really doesn't describe everything that you'll see or go through on that journey. 
the reality is is much more complex than the simplicity of a map. But a map gives us, you know, a, a little bit of guidance in our life. And this map is kind of what that does is it reminds us to look at the world with an all quadrant level in line type of lens instead of the, the very narrow lens of a, someone who just focuses on one quadrant. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on one quadrant. It's just understand that there's other other perspectives and, and other um, parts of reality that are, are there. Don't exclude that. Um, and don't think that your quadrant is the most important because they all are equally important. And like I said, they all equally kind of blend and affect one another. And I, and I use, or I think of an example from education. You know, education recently got rid of textbooks. And at first, I was, I was a little confused at what was the motivation behind getting rid of textbooks. And, you know, they would say things like these textbooks were, you know, outdated. Um, these textbooks um, took away from the creativity of the teacher. Um, that the teacher, you know, would just teach from the textbook. You'd hear that a lot. So they just got rid of all textbooks. But what I saw happen was they got rid of all the maps that these teachers kind of relied on to get from point A to point B. So now there's this kind of mass confusion without these textbooks or these maps. Um. Even if a teacher, you know, used just the textbook as a map, like didn't teach out of the textbook, but just used it as guidance. I think they were helpful in that way. And there, I mean, there's so many little pithy quotes. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, there's, there's many others too. Uh, but. I saw I saw this kind of impacting education and these teachers thinking we're just going to throw out these textbooks and we're going to build our curriculums and these units and, and they change year to year often and and the maps it's created this confusion and just to emphasize kind of that idea of not confusing the map with the territory, Ken Wilber says, the ultimate metaphysical secret, if we dare state it so simply, is that there are no boundaries in the universe. Boundaries are illusions, products not of reality, but of the way we map and edit reality. And while it is fine to map out the territory, it is fatal to confuse the two. So there again, he's kind of talking about don't confuse the map with the territory, but that ultimately we are. We are the map makers um, that put down the, the boundaries um, for reality. He also says, though, the point is to unify the opposites, both positive and negative, by discovering a ground which transcends and encompasses both. This is kind of the idea behind blankets and boundaries. Is that we tend to oscillate or you know, go on the pendulum and, and swing back and forth from extreme to the other extreme. 
especially I, I see that a lot in education um, and parenting as well, probably. But uh, w- what we need to try to do is discover that ground that he talks about, which encompasses both these kind of extremes. And, you know, the Buddha talks about the middle way as well. Um, and, and it kind of goes to this, this map, this equal map that he, that he's created too, is like, we have to try to include more. <laughs> um, and, th- and this is very evident in what is happening in our culture today, the, the, the culture wars, you know, one side, I believe, thinks they are 100% correct and that the other side is 100% wrong. Then the other side believes they are 100% correct and the other side is 100% wrong. Instead of looking for the, the partial th- truth that both sides may contain. So listening to understand or listening to find to to pick out what is truthful or try to understand what may be truthful in what somebody else may be saying. I, I often see a lot of people are very critical and then they, they turn off everything that the other person may be saying. Instead of you know, stay, saying the phrase, help me understand why you believe that. And this, I believe I'm, I'm hoping anyway, and I do have hope. I've seen signs of it already that that is where we're headed, where people start to appreciate and understand that nobody is 100% wrong. And that also goes with nobody is 100% right. And that there's an appreciation and there's a there's a drive to try to understand the the truths that somebody may may have and that they are trying to understand the truths that you may have. I mean, right now in our society, it may seem like we're far away from that, as I've never seen, you know, this country as divided in my lifetime. Um, but until, you know, we can get to a place where we, we start to listen and, and try to understand each other, I, I, I don't know if we can progress any further. Um, and again, it kind of goes to this the idea that Ken Wilber says that, you know, everybody is right. And he's created this map where he can put you know, at least some of what somebody has said onto this map. That they hold some partial truth. Now, I'm a social worker. So I'm going to explain a little bit how I use this map. Um, especially when I'm working with a student. So the first quadrant that I usually look at with the student is the it quadrant, believe it or not. You know, I try to assess like, are they getting proper sleep? Are they, you know, do they have proper shelter? Um, Are they eating nutritional foods? Are they getting exercise? These types of just objective 
you know, truths that we can kind of measure, talk about. And that's, that's usually where I start, you know, safety, you know, are they safe? Are they being, you know, physically abused, mentally abused, those types of things. Um, just kind of break down that it quadrant for that student, try to get to know what that looks like for them. And then, you know, the I quadrant is very important. What does the world mean to them? You know, what kind of beliefs are they holding on to? A lot of teenagers are trying to create their identity. What is that for the student? What uh, emotional intelligence do they have? Um, Work with their feelings. Their beliefs, what they what they find meaningful, um, purpose in their life, and then the we quadrant uh, is very important, um, and that's kind of the culture or the family aspect that that student comes from or uh, lives in, and and what does that mean for the student, and socially, like their their friend group, what kind of cultural norms do they have that are healthy or unhealthy for this for this student and then the it's group i've had to deal with a lot of systems with with kids so are they involved in the judicial system um financially you know what what is their what is their status financially and how does that affect who they are and how they get through life. Uh, the educational system. I'm, I'm a school social worker, so constantly, you know, trying to figure out how they navigate the educational system. So I I try to take in all these quadrants when I'm assessing a student. Um, and I, and I think it's a good little map to be able to do that. Cause if I just focused on, let's say the, the social piece and I'm just looking at this child's, you know, friend group or family group or cultural group, but I may be, you know, dismissing some of the other quadrants that might be impacting uh, the student as well. So trying to get a full, a full picture. And then of course, you know, there are interventions for each, uh, each quadrant, I can, I can then pick and choose what I feel this student needs. And, and again, I start with that it quadrant. So if if they're not being fed properly, getting proper sleep, that can have a huge impact on on how the child's going to do at school. But also, if they're full of anxiety, stress, that I quadrant. That's another thing that could have a, a, a complete impact on, on their ability to succeed at school. And, and as well as the social aspect, um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the problems I see with students is managing their friendships or even their relationships. Um, the, you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, uh, that a lot of the times is what I'm I'm dealing with and how they navigate and problem solve those types of situations. And of course the educational system. I'm there to try to, 
you know, have them succeed at school if possible. And, and that, that system itself is very complicated for a lot of these families. So again, it, it's about um, the whole, seeing the whole picture. Uh, and, and I feel like the future of social work should be headed in this direction because social workers, they're, they have so many different responsibilities. You could be a, a caseworker, you could be in a hospital dealing with patients, you could be in a police uh, station dealing with police officers and, and victims and, and things of that nature. Um, so there's this whole slew of social workers out there doing different things. Um, but I'm hoping at some point that we can, you know, social work can become more integral where if you do specialize, you know, maybe a, a social worker could assess somebody and then send them to someone who specializes in maybe nutrition or sleep disorders or anxiety disorders. And then those specialists can kind of work from there. I don't know, just an idea. And there are, I will be talking about another episode about ACEs. And I know they're already starting to kind of develop these um, centers for kids where they're seen by a doctor, the social worker goes into the house, and it's this kind of team approach that kind of the doctor can assess, you know, that it quadrant, the social worker can assess the family and the cultural aspects, what may be going on at home. And then maybe there's a therapist involved that can really focus on maybe more of that I quadrant and the, and the subjective life of that child. So, like I said, there is hope and I, and I see it moving in this direction where you know, in, in psychology and in, in therapy, you know, there's a, a big movement, um, especially with kids too, like, uh, psychiatrists handing out medications, um, to kids to try to solve some of these problems. And that would be in the it quadrant, but I've always been taught, you know, that the medication is there to kind of you know, balance out some of the symptoms, but that the therapy, talk therapy is, you know, combined with the medication is the best treatment. So there, there's another example of, you know, two quadrants and not just focusing on the one quadrant where these, the medication is going to solve everything, but that you couple it with the therapy and then you can you know, address the problem from these different, different lenses and different perspectives. So again, this is my hope. And as well as the culture wars that people start to include, uh, you know, widen their circles, widen their perspectives to really try to understand where people are coming from that may be, you know, focusing or, or specialize in one of these quadrants. Now I'm going to uh, talk about a sentence that I also live by, and it's kind of an integral sentence that I use as well 
when wanting to be the best educator that I can be. And this uh, idea was passed down to me. Somebody had heard a, a talk on education and said this was the best talk they had ever heard and told me about this sentence. So it kind of has been orally transmitted to me and I'm going to share it now with you. And the sentence is very basic, but once you break it down, it, it starts to make sense. So it's, you know, I teach Maria science. And that's just an example of, of the sentence. You can change the sentence to, you know, maybe not science. Maybe I, I teach Maria English or, or I teach Maria reading, whatever the case may be. But so then you've got this simple sentence and we'll just go with, I teach Maria science and you break it down. And this, this is what I use. Even when I'm a social worker, I say, I social work Maria on wellness. Um, but let's break this sentence down. So I, that's about yourself. Learning about yourself, learning about your blind spots, maybe doing therapy of your own, which I think is very beneficial, but getting to know yourself and being vulnerable about who you are and really getting in there. You know, meditation can help. It's a great way to kind of look at how your mind works. Um, maybe, uh, journaling, break down, you know, maybe some of the beliefs you hold so dear. Really get to know yourself inside and out. Blind spots, you know, uh, we all have them. I know there's some books about blind spots out there. But get to know yourself. I've I've been in therapy for over 15 years and I've probably learned more about myself and about the world through therapy than any school, schooling I've been to. Um, so that's that, the first part of the sentence. I. Know yourself. Get to know yourself. Be vulnerable. Get in there and see what's, what's going on inside. Now, I teach. The second word is teach. Teaching is a verb. It's an action. These are the strategies, the classroom management, um, whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever you've been taught. Uh, maybe it's, you know, how you actually project your voice, you know, little tricks. Teaching is a verb. It's an action. You can't just sit back and be a teacher. So really getting to know what it means to teach. And how can you teach? How can you transmit? How can you get your students to learn what you want them to learn? This is teaching. So learning all those strategies and tricks. Now I teach Maria. Now Maria is your student. Getting to know Maria, getting to know your students. Relationship is huge, but you can't have a relationship if you don't know who your students are. What's their cultural background? What's, you know, 
Maybe you learn a little bit about their family life. Uh, I've heard teachers say, why can't that student, you know, turn in their homework? Like, come on. They're always late on assignments, this, that, and the other. And then they realize, oh, this kid's working three jobs after he, after they leave school. And they're taking care of the, the siblings. But they never knew that because they didn't know their student. So I, learn about yourself. Teach, it's a verb. It's an action. Know your strategies. Know how to teach. Maria, know your students. Know who they are. I teach Maria science. And finally, know your content. Know your subject matter. Stay up to date. Know everything you can know about science. And if you get excited about your content matter, that will transmit to your students too. And they'll, <laughs> student superpower, they can see right through any sort of false presentation. They know if you care about them or if you don't. They know if you know your content or you don't. They know if you know yourself or you don't. They can see right through it. I could see right through it when I was a teenager. So this sentence, I teach Maria science. I live by it. And it's an integral way to look at whatever it is you're doing. Know about yourself. Teaching is is a verb. It's an action. So when I say social working or parenting, it's an action. It's a verb. I teach Maria. Know your students. Know your child. However you're working with this child in any capacity. And then science. Know your content. As a social worker, I got to keep up on, you know, I've got to get my CEUs. I've got to learn. I've got to keep learning about my craft. I got to know my content. If you're a science teacher, you got to know about science and you got to keep up on science. Science is always changing too. So that was a sentence that was told to me by someone who had heard it in a lecture before on education. And I've just have held that sentence with me for a very long time. And I think it's just a great way, again, to include, it's like an integral sentence, right? It's got the I part. It's got the verb part. It's got the know your student part, know your content. It's like everything. And and you'll see this now, maybe when you go to different workshops, they usually focus on just one of these words that are in this sentence. So they may you know, focus on get to know your students, really build relationships with your students. But in order to do that, you also got to know yourself. And in order to do that, you got to be a a teacher. And you got to know your content matter. Or another workshop might, you know, focus on uh, know yourself, know your blind spots. But this sentence is kind of, I feel kind of the full picture and a great map. 
So to end this episode, uh, I get this question often from, you know, parents, educators, grownups. <laughs> and that is, I don't have time. I work so much. I just don't have time to, to pay attention to my kids. Like I want to pay attention to them. What do I do? This is a, a reality. A lot of our families spend most of their time in the it quadrant, trying to, you know, put food on the table, trying to pay rent, um, trying to, you know, uh, give them clothes, proper clothes so they, you know, can go to school, you know, wear a coat in the winter. And they do. The reality is a lot of our parents are working multiple jobs and don't have time. Or there's not parents, it's just one parent home. Or sometimes it's the grandparents who are raising the kids. This is, you know, a reality that's it's very hard. But that is happening out there for a lot of our families. And again, it's, I start with the it quadrant too. You got to provide food, shelter, warmth, safety. That's kind of the first thing. And, and to be honest, that's what you should probably be focusing on. In Finland, they have this baby box program. The government um, supplies a box with, you know, some clothes in it, some um, sheets, a, a mattress. And the baby, the infants, so every family can get this box. Or you can get a uh, cash payout. And when this first began, um, this program started in the 1930s. Uh, and it was mostly for, for families who couldn't afford, couldn't afford these types of things, these, these resources. But now in this country, everyone can get a baby box. And everyone usually picks the box over the money. They say 95% of first-time mothers still choose the box instead of the cash. And what this box has done, it's taken on kind of a life of its own. Like grandparents say, oh yeah, I slept in a, a baby box when I was little. And they keep their baby boxes. And, and there's some national pride to these boxes. And it's been a very successful program. And what a great way to value mothers and, and children in a country that every family starts with this box and it, and it comes with uh, different things. I think now they're focusing more on the quality of products. So you might get some clothes. Oh, and you also get like a overalls and, and different colors for different years. And that's a, that's a big thing too. Like, Oh, there are my overalls that I got in the red meant I got them in, you know, this year. And the babies sleep in this box. 
there's a mattress and some sheets and things. And that provides, you know, some warmth for the child, this, this little crib. And some boundaries make them feel safe in this box. So that's where we should start. We should make sure that our kids, I, I, I know education is really trying to feed children, which I think is wonderful. Um, but we have too many families that even struggle to put, you know, food on the table, proper medical care, you know, shelter can be an issue. And for these families that, that, that this is their main focus, you know, it's got to be really, really difficult to try to be there emotionally for your kids and, and try to set those boundaries. I do think it's important, though, to at least try to give your kids boundaries. If, if you're not around or you're working, you know, all these jobs and your kids are watching your other kids. I still think it's important to try to provide boundaries and not let those children as best you can just roam free. And I understand that providing, you know, food and shelter is of utmost important importance but that these blankets and boundaries are, are just as essential. So trying to work that into your family is, is, is crucial as well. I, I often sometimes see even families that don't um, struggle with resources and they're, and they don't provide boundaries and, and blankets for their kids and especially boundaries and the kids are, are left to, to roam. They, they can become very anxious and, and they sense that these lack of boundaries, even though they, they might brag about them. I think on the unconscious level, the message is that they're not being cared for. And that they, they start to sense this insecurity. And they start to sense this anxiety because the, the, it's like too much freedom without responsibility. So really tough question. You know, what, what do I do if I'm working all these jobs, being really busy? Uh, sometimes... You know, schools will do what they can to provide resources as well. And I know a lot of these parents are just trying to provide these resources. But if you can still set your intention that your kids, even even if you're at work, you know, making sure they call you to tell tell you they're at home at a certain time. You know, setting your intention that boundaries and blankets are still very important. That you may need to carve out a little time to just sit and talk with your child. 
about just how they're doing or what's going on or hang out. So as hard as, you know, providing those resources, those types of blankets can be, try not to forget about the importance of boundaries and blankets for, for children as well and see what you can do. All right. Thank you for listening to the episode about Ken Wilber. He's got many books out there. He's got some great uh, audio talks as well that are, are fantastic. Thanks for listening. Uh, I will see you next time. All right, everybody. Take care.